When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily. Another day, another Premier League podcast for you to get your teeth stuck into. Only a handful of games to go, but the season is far from over. And didn't West Brom let us know that last night? They comfortably dispatched Southampton to make it two ins from two and cut the gap between themselves and safety. They couldn't pull off another Premier League great escape, could they? Big Sam will certainly be hoping so. We'll also discuss the far less entertaining goalless draw between Brighton and Everton last night, as well as looking ahead to Chelsea's Champions League quarter-final second leg with Porto, where the Blues hold a two-goal cushion. Plus, we look at Leicester City's coronavirus breach, where Madison, Perez and Chowdhury all got themselves in hot water with boss Brendan Rodgers by breaking COVID protocol. The Foxes say they are extremely disappointed in what's fast becoming one of their most important weeks of the season. My name's Niall, this is Football Social Daily, and alongside me today, someone who I think's still riding high off of Newcastle's win. He was buzzing yesterday. Are you still buzzing today, Marley Anderson? Uh, looking at the uh, looking at the bottom of the league, it's nice to see six points uh, separate 17th from 18th. Um, so yeah, still still kind of happy. You're not concerned about West Brom creeping up on you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not yet. No, I think I think they're still too far to go for West Brom. But fair enough, them getting a couple of results, turning in a couple of decent performances. But I still think they've got a long way to go after being so poor for 27, 28 games, whatever it's been. And we've also got straight talking Stefan Armstrong on today's Football Social Daily. How are you doing, Steph? Yeah, good, mate. Absolute pleasure to be here, as always. Did you get down the pub? First day of pubs back open, being able to sit outside and all that. Did you get yourself down there? I did, yeah. I went down to Brew York, um, brewery in the centre of York. Uh, yeah, got a bit giddy on the old um, sour <laughs> beers last night, actually. Sour beer? I was going to say, yeah. what was your first drink? Uh, yeah, it was, it was called it was called Guava Heaven or something like that. It was it was mental. 
Oh, it's a little bit hipster, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to say, Stefan doesn't strike me as a guy who goes for a nice pint of Carlin or something. He's a bit quirkier than that, isn't he? <laughs> I'll tell you what, well. I've seen Stefan put a few Carlins away in his time, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, I'm sure the Carlins were flowing last night at the Hawthorns after West Bromwich Albion beat Southampton by three goals to nil. Great result for the Baggies. Back-to-back victories for them. In the Premier League, I mean, they couldn't, could they? Could they get out of that drop zone, Stefan? Big Sam, the effect that he has coming into relegation-threatened sides, that's beginning to shine through now. Oh, yeah. I mean, they couldn't, could they? I mean, it, it would be outrageous if they did. It'd be, it'd probably rival the, the West Brom great escape they did under Brian Robson uh, years mm. back. Um, it's... It's there. They've put themselves in the conversation. They're only two points behind Fulham. They've got a game in hand on Fulham. Um, so they must be looking at the likes of Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, thinking, could we do it? Uh, Big Big Sam's got a track record. Um, so it, it's made it more interesting, uh, so to speak. Um, and they, they played decent last night. Um, they, I think they were made to look like a decent team, to be honest. Um, mm. But 3-0... That's 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 what you want, isn't it? Um, and they've got chance. Could have been four as well, Steph. Yeah, honestly, they had, they had loads of chances um, last night, uh, West Brom. Um, and as I say, they, they looked like a decent, decent side. Uh, Southampton looked poor, and that was kind of summed up by the uh, the missed penalty by James Ward-Prowse. And they were helped along the way a bit, West Brom, last night. Uh, Fraser Foster dashing out um, for the first goal, kind of... Mm set West Brom on the way a little bit, even though they, they had the setback uh, with what should have been the fourth, well, the, the first goal, but would have been their fourth goal. Um, the offside ruling, which was a bit was a bit weird. I didn't really know what was happening for five minutes. I just saw lines drawn on the screen. Um, it was a bit bizarre. Yeah. But West, West Brom took their chances and deserved to win. As I say, I don't know whether they were decent because they looked decent last night or if Southampton were really that bad. Stefan says that Southampton made West Brom look good, Marley. Would you go along with that? I thought they did look pretty poor last night, but then again, I would say that. Yeah, um, there's probably a point in there. It's not just your bias saying that Southampton were poor because I think the one thing that that worries me now about Southampton is they've got a lot easier to play against in this sort of second half of the season. Um, And they've been, I think, earlier in the season, their pressing, their energy was hard to contain. And I think teams are... I don't know whether teams are working it out or whether they're just not as good at, at implementing their style anymore, Southampton. Um, but teams are tending to cope with them a bit more and have a bit more of the game. And I think when you get your foot on the ball against Southampton, you realise that they're not that good a side. I mean, I mentioned yesterday on uh, on the podcast, I think the centre-backs are, are pretty poor. Um, I think that defensively they're, they're a bit weak. Um, they've had injury problems and stuff as well and... Um, you know, various little factors in in probably not affecting them and not allowing them to be a hundred percent of what they want to be. But that happens in the course of a season. But this second half of the the campaign, where they've been, they've, they've almost fell off a cliff compared to the performance in the first half of the uh, of the season. So, yeah, they were they were awful again last night, and West Brom fully deserved the win and could have had more. Do you know what I think, Marley? That Danny Ings looked sluggish and cumbersome last night. I thought he looked really off it and. I guess the way he gave the ball away to Diania and then Diania whipped the ball to the far post and it was a, a really good goal, I think, for Phillips to tuck it away at the far post. And then I saw another clip of him running forward when Walcott was on the break and he was almost so slow in getting into the penalty area. 
that Southampton's wingers didn't really know what to do with it. Do you think that it is becoming more and more evident as the weeks go on that he is looking for an avenue out of St Mary's? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, I think his head was turned probably six months ago and he downed tools a few weeks back. Um because realistically, what is there to play for for Southampton right now? They're probably not going to go down. Well, they're almost definitely not going to go down. Um, and they're in that sort of middle of the bottom half purgatory where you're just waiting for the summer. And most people wait for the summer because they can go on holiday and the the uh, the country's reopening again now. They can maybe you know get away to a nice beach somewhere. But I think Ings is just looking forward to the offers coming in for him. Um, for example, if Spurs sell Harry Kane, he would fancy that job going to Spurs and being being their main man if and, and playing for a top club. Um, again, who's he, challenging for sort of the top six, seven positions in England. And I think his performance last night, I mean, you know, he was, like you said, he, he was sluggish. He was way off the, the usual um, pace he, he sets for himself. He's usually like a, like a wasp around the, um, the defence, you know, like buzzing around, trying to win the ball back, always being a being a nuisance on and off the ball. Um, but his quality wasn't there last night and it was summed up by um, by the, the passage of play that he, when he, he nicked the ball back, I think, sort of towards the touchline and had the ball, went towards his own goal and just passed it straight to Dianya. And fair play to Dianya, he looked like a striker who, who wants to prove something and, and is fighting for something, which is namely a, a permanent contract at a Premier League club, whether that's West Brom or someone else. Um and he's played a ridiculous ball across the across the box, which cuts out six foot seven Yannick Vestergaard, and um, he, and finds Matt Phillips on the on the wing to to tuck it in and make it. I think it was two 0 at that point. So he's um, it was a tale of two strikers. One's down tools, and you know then he's playing against a team that are, are trying to stay up against all the odds. And uh, I think you seen that from Ings last night. I think he's he's thinking about the summer, and I think he's he's thinking I'm I've done everything I can at Southampton. I, uh, I scored what was it, twenty two goals last season or something like that. Got in the England squad, um, and now this team's got nothing, nothing else to offer me. So I'll uh, I'll try and see what's available in the summer. Eight points away from safety, West Brom. Twenty one points to play for. Some of the fixtures they've got to come: Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Liverpool, West Ham, and Leeds on the final day of the season. Twenty one to play for, as I say. Eight points away from safety. It's possible. With the form they're in, with the momentum they've got, is it going to happen? Um, I'd still say probably not. The only teams that I fancy unbeaten are Aston Villa and maybe Wolverhampton Wanderers. And could could they get a result at a place like Arsenal going away to the Emirates? I think that could that could happen. But everybody else have got too too much to fight for. Um, the good thing for West Brom is if it does go down to the last game, they're playing the Leeds United who are already dead rubber. They've, they've got nothing really to play for. Um, so so that might help them out, but that's tough. You've got Liverpool to play, you've got West Ham to play, you've got Arsenal to play. That they're, they're, they're tough fixtures. So I would I would still say that your likes of Burnley or Newcastle uh, are probably still safe. I'd still I'd still think the onus is with Fulham, even though they've not really been winning the last few weeks. I think I think the onus is still with Fulham. Stefan mentioned about possibly the Villa game and the Wolves game that West Brom should potentially be looking at in terms of picking up three points, especially with Liverpool, West Ham and Leeds, their final three games of the season. But I suppose if you're a West Brom fan, you're thinking, OK, we've won two, got a little bit of momentum. Leicester up next, who also lost at the weekend and may have a danger of tumbling out of the top four like they did last season. 
Villa aren't particularly consistent right now. Wolves aren't looking great and Arsenal are mid-table. So those next four games for the Baggies, Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, if they can pick up points in those and try and avoid defeat, then they put themselves in a really strong position of survival. But it's all well and good saying it. They've got to go out and do it. Yeah, I think um, the way they're playing, you know, beating Chelsea. I know there's an asterisk over that with, um, you know, Chelsea having 10 men for most of the game and, and what have you. But... You know, um, it's still going to breed breed confidence. And you've seen the confidence in their performance against Southampton that was initiated by the win over Chelsea, I think. Um, so you're looking at you're looking at those games and you're not you're not expecting them to win it, to win them. But you're not completely counting them out. Um, have it like I mean, I mentioned slightly before, I don't think they'll do it. But I expected them to go down with a bit more of a whimper than they than they are. Um, and you know you've seen that Southampton came and they didn't have anything to play for basically as I, as I sort of alluded to before and they got comfortably turned over by West Brom Wolves are in a similar position Aston Villa are almost in a similar position with uh, especially if they don't have Grealish they've not looked anything special um, recently and they're they're in danger of of falling into that mid-table nothingness that, that a lot of teams find themselves in. Arsenal are similar. <laughs> so all of a sudden, if they're fighting for something and the team that you're fighting, that you're playing, are fighting for nothing, you know, you, you wouldn't completely count them out. But I think the quality will catch up with them. I think um, they're defensively not as good as they need to be. And I think, so, you know, I don't think they'll accumulate enough points um, to, to drag in a, a Newcastle or a Burnley or a Brighton, um, and as well as Fulham, you know what I mean? So I don't think they'll quite do it, but fair play to them for having a go, and they've actually started playing some decent football recently. Massive win for West Brom at the Hawthorns last night. Baggies winning 3-0 against Southampton. We didn't pick that one as the most entertaining affair of the two games that took place yesterday. We thought that Everton against Brighton at the Amex might offer up something slightly more interesting, but that wasn't to be the case, because that game at the Amex Stadium finished goalless, Brighton now seven points from safety. As we discussed with West Brom, they are possibly still in with a shout of getting sucked into it and, and there's 21 points on offer. Yeah, I think I think it's two points lost for Brighton um, as opposed to a point gained. I mean, Pot will be looking at that, wondering, scratching his head how, how they didn't win that game because up until um, Iwobi's kind of skied chance in the last minute, I, I, I can't remember Everton having a, a shot on target. They might, they might have done, but I can't really remember it. Um, whereas Brighton looked pretty sharp up top. I think I think their front three, um, Welbeck, uh, Mopai and Trossard were kind of... They linked quite nicely and it looked quite sharp. Um, they just didn't have a finish. Um, so it's it's a point, it's a point, two points lost rather than a point gained, I think, for, for Brighton. But they're sitting top of the pile of those relegation bottom six, you know. So... They'll, they'll be happy with it, although they should have got more. What about Everton then? We've spoken about Brighton and how they've struggled to score goals and stuff like that. Marty, we've mentioned it all season, really, that in front of goal is where they've struggled, although their front three, as Stefan pointed out, are starting to look brighter towards the end of this season. Everton, though, as he said, barely any shots on target. They struggle to create. I think when Hammers has an off day or doesn't play, they find it really difficult to create enough chances. And... Obviously, Calvert-Lewin has been a master finisher for them this season. Most of his finishes have been one touch, whether that's headers or tap-ins or just being in the right place at the right time. But you've still got to create chances for strikers, even if they are, I don't know, 
poachers, let's just say. So do you think it's something they need to address in the summer? We've spoken about it in recent weeks regarding Everton. Ancelotti's recruitment, you said yesterday on the show, has been very, very good. The likes of Alan and Rodriguez and Decore has also been a good addition. But do you think they need someone else slightly more creative as well to kind of fill that void should Hamas or whoever else is put in that position not be available? Uh, yeah, they do. They do need a bit more creativity. But, you know, I, I thought last night a, a lot of the the issues came from basically just a lack of a striker. Um, you know, I looked at the lineup before when they, when the lineups came out at like half six or whatever it was. And, um, you know, Everton had six defenders on the on the team. <laughs> And like it was like a back five, and then Lucas Digne like pushed into sort of a weird midfield role, and you know the the their outfielders were were basically six defenders and three or three or four midfielders. You know, Hamez and Richarlison tasked with with being that attack, um, and I think they they were never set up to go and win that game last night in terms of the creativity and the, the sort of balance of the team was never was never in a position where you can go and beat a team like Brighton who, you know, we've said uh, a decent football inside but struggle to um struggle to finish off, but it doesn't mean they can't outplay a lot of teams for you know, for eighty, eighty five minutes at times, you know, this season. I think Everton managed one shot on target. Uh sorry, one well, one sort of half chance and it, it wasn't even on target from Iwobi in the sort of final ten, fifteen minutes or whatever it was. So you know, I I just thought they they, they definitely missed Calvert-Lewin last night because even if you put Calvert-Lewin in that team and they still play poorly you can almost play a bit more direct and if, if things aren't flowing sort of um, you know short passing and, and possession based you can go longer to him and he'll win headers and he'll win flick-ons and he'll be a threat from set pieces and things like that um, and he's you know he's, he's an all-round striker that can always cause a problem but you know obviously he wasn't he wasn't fit to to play I'm not quite sure what his injury is but then you look at who else have who else have Everton got? And you know they've had they've had Tosun in the past, and he's been useless. And then Josh King was nowhere to be seen last night. I'm not sure what happened to him. He's, he must be <laughs> injured. But again, you know that just fits my Josh King agenda perfectly because when you needed him, he wasn't there. So you know it's it's um it's another one of them where they probably do have to look at it in the summer. Calvert Loon's had a few niggling little knocks here, here and there this season, and even when he's fit every week, you, you're relying on him every every week, and it's a lot to to ask for uh, for still, you know, not that experienced a striker. You know, the knocks and the physicality of the Premier League is going to get to you when you're playing every two or three days. Um, and, you know, you don't have the time to recover and all the rest of it. So, yeah, they probably do need someone else. Whether they can persuade Moyes Keane to have another go, um, that would be interesting. Um, see if Ancelotti can can rekindle him after he's been at PSG for a year. Probably harder, uh, easier said than done, but, you know, that could possibly be something because... Then you've got um, then you've got two genuine options up front, and the likes of Hamez and Dakure, all um, you know, trying to feed them, and Richarlison chipping in with the odd goal and everything there. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens in the summer. But they they do certainly need um, a stronger backup than someone like Josh King on a on a six month contract. I think Moise Keane's done well at PSG this season as well, so that's a, yeah, a very yeah. good shout, a very good shout. But there's no there's no option to uh, there's no. Uh, What's the word when you have to buy them? Obligation. obligation. Uh, there's no obligation. I think it's. I think it's only um, a straight loan, as far as I know. So they could be in a position there to say, you know, come, come and have another go for a year mm. here. But that's hard when you have scored a lot of goals at PSG. Um, yeah. So Moise Keane would probably be more likely to want 
to want to go there and play with Mbappe rather than turn up and see Tom Davis on a skateboard at <laughs> <laughs> Finch Farm and say, what the, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, in flares with dreadlocks in his hair. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think Moyes Keen is keen to stay at PSG, no pun intended by the sounds of the reports. Anyway, the game at the Amex last night in the Premier League finished goalless. Brighton move up to 15th. They're now seven points clear of the relegation zone. Everton remain eighth. They're also seven points away from their target, which is the top four currently occupied by West Ham on 55 points. Everton currently on 48, but they do have a game in hand over the majority of the rest of the teams in the Premier League and above them in that top four race. Time for a quick break now on Football Social Daily. But talking of top four, what's going on at Leicester City? They've lost two in a row, including to top four rivals West Ham United at the weekend. And there's been a coronavirus breach in their camp. It's not looking good for them. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. And we didn't talk about this on yesterday's podcast, but Leicester City over the weekend have had a coronavirus breach. Three of their players decided to attend a party after a recent fixture against Manchester City. Those three players have been underlined by the Telegraph as James Madison, Ayoso Perez and Hamza Chowdhury. And the club say they are extremely disappointed by the players breaching the Leicester COVID-19 protocol. And the club also say that they've made it abundantly clear to their playing staff what exactly is required of them, the expectations around adherence to COVID-19 protocols. This is according to the Telegraph. I wouldn't say it's shaken Leicester City to its core, Marley, but... Again, with the uh, situation that Leicester find themselves in, not clinging on to the top four, but certainly with a chance of tumbling out of it now when it looked a lot more solid only a couple of weeks ago, for players to go and do that and break the rules like that, you can understand why Leicester have taken a strong stance on this. Yeah, 100%. I think it's one of the it's one of the most stupid things to happen this season. There's been a lot of stupid stuff that's happened in the past year or so, but this is this is up there with the top um, you know the, the best of them, basically. And you know, I think did did they go to a party? Was that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, After getting beaten by Manchester City. Come on, man. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, don't just don't do that. Like even even in a non-COVID time, that's stupid. And then now you've got COVID. Somebody's always gonna. It's always yeah. gonna get back to the club. Um, it's just there's eight for... games to go, Marley, and they could f- qualify for the Champions League. They could reach an FA Cup final. Why not celebrate at the end of the season? Why are you going to a party now? Just It's almost like running before you can walk. Just hold on, and the players might even have a great season to celebrate at Leicester. Yeah. But now they've thrown all that into jeopardy. Yeah, and I mean, obviously we don't know the ins and outs of, of what party it was. You know, I mean, it, it strikes me as something, it would probably be like somebody's girlfriend's party or something you know what I mean like somebody who knows a couple of the players and it'll be like a mutual thing it's not like it's a uh like a player's birthday or something or they're celebrating something like that it's probably like a mutual friend of someone and they've gone to this party or something like that and how I I don't think it should be that hard to just say no at this point um you know like you say you've worked all season you've got you're on the verge of something massive at Leicester um, and then players like Madison and Perez, you don't expect that 
from them as much because they've they've been around the game a few years. Perez is usually pretty professional. He never got into any any kind of stuff when he was at Newcastle. He he never had any negative sort of um, episodes. Any you know negative press, breaking rules, turning up late for training, that kind of thing. He's not that type of player, but you know he's he's obviously he's made a mistake. But at this point, it shouldn't be that hard to just say you know sorry, but I'm not going to come to your party tonight because number one it's unsafe and it's against the, the rules, but also, too, you know, I'm kind of focused on trying to get into the Champions League next year because we blew it last year um, in pretty much this type of, um, this this uh, stage of the season. We, you know, the wheels fell off, basically, and they ended up in the Europa League. Um, and then it's almost happening again. But, you know, if they'd have beat West Ham at the, uh, at the weekend on Sunday, you'd have thought they'd be nailed on to... Uh, to get into that top four, but now it's all very, very tight, and there's three points separating three teams. I think it is, and uh, yeah, there's fair play to to Brendan Rodgers for for disciplining them as well, because it would have been easy to say, you know, oh they've been they've been idiots, but they are my best players and they are in my team for the weekend. And instead, he named a few uh, academy graduates on the bench and said, right, well these lot of uh, these lot have took the mick out of you, so the place is yours now on the bench when you'd probably be expecting to play for the under-23s on Monday or something like that. So fair play to him for, for sticking to his guns and disciplining them as well. Yeah, here's what Rogers said, Marley. He said, the players who breach the guidelines are all good guys, good lads, but we have a standard on and off the pitch that we all have to adhere to. The boys will rejoin the group after this game. And then when he was asked by a journalist whether he was tempted to let the players still play against West Ham due to how important the game is and, of course... The fact that he left them out, I think, sent a statement in itself. He said it didn't cross his mind to put them in the team because of how good they are. He said, you can do so if you're soft. To be a winner, you have to act like a winner. So I think he really put his foot down in terms of discussing the situation because you're absolutely right. In terms of picking your best possible 11 in an important game against West Ham and a cup semi-final this weekend against Southampton, you know, Madison undoubtedly gets in that starting 11. But it shows that even though Madison's one of the better players, that Rodgers isn't going to take any undermining towards him or the rest of the squad. And he's putting his foot down and it doesn't matter whether it comes at the detriment of the team because I think the axe kind of falls upon those three players that broke the rules. The blame is almost pointed at them. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, if it, it, it almost goes even further than this because... If you if you let Madison and Perez off um, this time, you know they're un- they're they're more likely to do it again. And even if you know in this, let's say two or three years down the line, you know Leicester are challenging for a title, or they've moved on. Let's say, let's say Madison's gone to Man City or something like that, and they're on the verge of winning the title. That that sort of behaviour, if Rodgers had let them off, one at some point in their career, they might have done it again to another manager. And then they just bombed them straight out of the club and just said, right, off you off you go. You're not as professional um as we need you to be around these parts and you know, you think you if you think you're more important than the club, then there's the door. And um I think, you know, having this like hard stance on them, it's only gonna benefit them in the long term because they won't do it again now. Well well you'd you'd hope not. Um so you'd you'd probably say, you know, it's like a, a, a tough lesson, but if you let them away with it, you only make like like you mentioned the word soft. You are incredibly soft if you um, if you prioritize you know a, a game and a, how good a player is over the fact that they've broke 
um, club rules, technically the law um, in this in this case as well. Um, but yeah, even if we weren't living in COVID times where everything was shut and what have you, um, and you weren't allowed to mix, there's still club rules that that apply to every club, and those those rules always say don't go to parties in midweek, especially when we've got a game at the weekend. You know, it's not a it's not an unusual rule. So, fair play to Rogers for for doing that and and setting his stall out and saying I don't care who you are, I don't care how good you are. Whether you're James Madison or Lionel Messi, you're getting um, disciplined when you um, when you break the rules. Yeah, and these these guys are paid a, a big amount, um, and with that, there should, that should come a little bit of respect towards your club who who are, who are giving you that wage. Um, you know, you've you've been forced to drop your arguably your best player and two other important first team players. Um, these these guys are heavily compensated with with the money they get for the time they put into to into the football uh, games and the preparation. So to to go out and do that before it is it is taking a liberty. Uh, and they're young they're young guys. Um, and the way Rogers has kind of protected them afterwards has been has been quite nurturing in a way. He said that look they could all play in the in the uh, semi final against Southampton. Uh, he's come out and said that. Um, I think he's basically saying, look, these guys are relatively young. Mistakes are made. This isn't the values of our club, so we have to drop them for this game. Uh, it, w- it would probably cause friction in amongst the group if they weren't dropped for that game. So he's done the right thing, but he's kind of protected them in a way as well. They are young. Um, boys will be boys, I guess, in in ter- in terms of that sort of... In terms of bad decisions like that. But overall, with, with what they get, and what they have to do to get that, uh, they've taken a liberty. So Brendan Rodgers was firm, I guess you could say, with his treatment of those players, Steph, that ended up being left out of his squad against West Ham due to the coronavirus breach. One of those being James Madison, who's obviously a really important player for them. And those rumours have started to pick up speed now that Madison could be looking for a way out of Leicester City. That was always going to happen, wasn't it? A player of James Madison's quality, as soon as there's a little bit of a misunderstanding or misbehaviour at the club, let's just say, those rumours start to pick up. Do you think people can read anything into that or do you think it's just a natural byproduct of the situation that's happened? Yeah, I think I think it's just the rumour mill. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't look too too deeply into it it was it was typical that uh this is probably Leicester's biggest game of the season I, I was with I was with um Jamie Derry who you once had on Floodlight Focus um for Leicester I was with him on Sunday um we we're playing golf weren't watching the game but it was constantly on his phone uh kind of keeping up with it and this it, is a Leicester City fan obviously and he was so gutted he just couldn't believe that the uh, the day before, probably the biggest game of the season against West Ham, really, really like confirm that these these top four hopes and ambitions. That somebody like James Madison, especially, who this is his time, man. I mean, this is all about getting in the Euro squad, um, uh, getting a Champions League spot with Leicester. Goes out and and does that. He he was absolutely gutted. Um, Do you think so, he's blown that chance now? Because we've seen Gareth Southgate in terms of the England situation with younger players like Foden and Greenwood. He kind of punished them for the breach that they did in Iceland when on England duty by leaving them out of the next squad. We haven't really seen Greenwood back since. We have seen Foden kind of redeem himself, I suppose, 
if, if that's the right term. Do you think that Madison, with this incident, has kind of blown his opportunity to get in the England squad? Because he didn't get in the last one due to injury. And that last England squad that we've spoken about, about the international break at the end of March, a couple of weeks ago, that was almost like the precursor to the Euros. So do you think that any chance, waning chance that he did have is now gone because of the actions that he's taken off the pitch? 100%. This this was his chance to kind of kind of stick his stick his neck out a little bit in front of the likes of Jack Grealish. Um, I think I think on paper, um, even if Grealish is out of form, you'd still probably take Grealish. Uh, and the likes of Mason Mount, Phil Foden, I think they're just performing to a higher level than James Madison at the minute. So he really needed to have a good final run in um, the, the last kind of like seven, eight games of the season. And that's that's really ruined it for him. I think he's lost his Euros chance. Can you imagine if this was Brian Clough or Sir Alex Ferguson, the carnage that would have ensued? They'd have I mean, black Beckham eyes, had a boot. Yeah, Beckham had a boot kicked at his head when uh, when he fell out with Sir Alex Ferguson. So, yeah, I can't imagine Brendan Rodgers being quite that strict, but I thought it did show that he isn't prepared to uh, suffer fools gladly at Leicester. I wonder what the uh, the modern day equivalent of that is, like having a maybe like an acetonic sports drink through at you rather than or a little. Uh, Little pre-match workout gel slapped in your face, rather than uh, Fergie hoofing a boot over the uh, dressing room. Uh, sock tape, perhaps, maybe a rolled-up sock or something. James Madison, Hamza Chowdhury, Jose Perez breaking COVID protocol, but it looks like they will be available again for the club's FA Cup semi-final against Southampton this weekend. Time to switch attention from the Premier League to the Champions League now, where Chelsea are in action tonight. They take on Porto in the quarter-final second leg. They currently hold a two-goal away advantage after scoring twice in last week's fixture even though it's in a neutral venue of course away goals is still in play what do you think the approach is here from Thomas Tuchel Marley obviously Porto we know they're dangerous I think the Chelsea game was the only game in the last 12 that they haven't scored in is it a case of score quickly for Chelsea and just put this tie to bed uh yeah I think um it's about just being being professional um you've got a two nil lead from the first leg it's comfortable, but also Porto are going to throw everything at you. So I think Chelsea are well set to um, to play on the counter attack. Um, I think you'll probably see Werner start, and if Porto are throwing everything forward and, and leaving more holes at the back, then you could see Werner having having some success on the on the break and uh, and things like that. And I think Chelsea have got enough of a a deep squad to have you know played played well at the weekend and hammered Crystal Palace. And then still keep players fresh for this uh, for this game as well. You know they didn't play Vern at the weekend. I think Ziyech. Uh, I don't think Ziyech played. Um, you know you've got players that can come in and keep that standard really really high at Chelsea, and that's probably their their biggest um, their biggest advantage at the minute. And uh, I think they'll I think they'll be all right to be honest. I, I can't see Porto raising the game enough to beat Chelsea by you know at least two goals. Um, so yeah, I think uh, they'll be pretty pretty comfortable, um, and we'll see them properly tested in the next round against is it Real Madrid or uh, or Liverpool? So that'll be uh, that'll be a hell of a tie, I think. Big week for them though, Steph. They've got Manchester City in the FA Cup semi final at the weekend. Which game's more important for you? If you were Thomas Tuchel, would you be prioritising either game, or would you just be going full strength in both? Because obviously Chelsea. Still in with a shout of finishing in the top four, but if they win the Champions League, which is still a big ask from here, the quarter-final stage, 
then they get into next season's competition as defending champions. If they win the FA Cup, that's silverware and his first trophy in English football in just a matter of months since touching down at Stamford Bridge. But yet, you know, with West Ham and a couple of other sides like Leicester and Liverpool and Tottenham all still hunting for that top four spot, it makes it a really interesting conundrum about what game you would perceive as to be more important, this one tonight against Porto or the weekend semi-final against Man City? Yeah, I think he'll have an eye on both. Um, I don't often believe football managers when they just talk about, oh, the next game is the most important game. Um, I think he'll, he'll, he'll have to probably be... He'll have to prepare, obviously, well for this game, but he'll be smart about his selection in terms of what that means for the weekend against Man City. They've got two-goal advantage in the playing at home against Porto, who are, who are a very good side, but you could argue are maybe one of the weakest sides still left in the competition. So they'll be happy with, with what they did um, last week in terms of getting that advantage, two-goal advantage. So it'll help them out a little bit in terms of if they need to give some key players, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes less at the end of the game tonight, then that's only going to help for preparations against Man City, which they probably do need to win because West Ham West Ham don't look like they're, they're giving up this relentless charge for the top four. Uh, and the likes of Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool are running out of games. So if you can if you can get three points against top of the league... And hey, that might even make the title race more interesting as well. I think Man City have won it, but still, it'd make it interesting. Um, then that'd be mega for Chelsea. So Tuchel knows what he's doing. He knows more about football than anybody I've ever spoken to, but I'd be tempted to maybe rest a few people tonight um, so that you can ensure you go through, but also get a result at the weekend. As Stefan just said, Chelsea could probably still rotate Marley and they should still beat Porto, especially with the goal advantage that they've got a couple of goals away from home. You'd think that even if Thomas Tuchel did decide to shake things up, a squad as accomplished as Chelsea's and as deep as Chelsea's compared to that of Porto, you'd think that even if he decided to throw Giroud up front uh, and give some of the fringe players game time, that they'd still be able to get the job done. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know... Their, their options are, are almost embarrassing at, at times. You know, Pulisic played at the weekend and scored twice. Havertz, you know, scored a goal, got an assist um, at the weekend. And, you know, Werner, Abraham and Giroud were all unused substitutes and they could all conceivably play tonight. Um, and, and still you'd back any one of them to to um, to have a decent game and to to be enough of a threat to worry Porto, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Kante only played half an hour at the weekend and you, you're seeing these players come in and you're just thinking, like, Porto have got a hell of a task on their hands to to beat um, to beat Chelsea by two or three goals at least. So I think um, they'll be fine, Chelsea. So we'll uh, we'll see who they play. I don't think it really matters because, you know, Porto Porto's approach to the game still has to be, you know, to throw everything at them because, you know, they don't get to this... Um, stage of the Champions League every year. I think it opened up slightly for them this year. I think there's a lot of poor teams, um, a lot of good teams in poor places right now across Europe. Juventus, for example, um, under a new coach, they've not been great this season and Porto took advantage of that and knocked them out. Um, but Chelsea were, were starting to come into form and I think we've seen that in the first leg. You know, Porto are no mugs, but Chelsea were, were just far too strong, especially coming off the back of the defeat to uh, to West Brom. They were kind of like a wounded animal. Um, and easily, easily turn Porto over. So I think we're uh, 
we're just seeing the timing work for Chelsea very nicely. Stefan, you said on last week's podcast, last Tuesday, about the Liverpool and Real Madrid tie, about how, you know, even though Liverpool might have fancied their chances against Real Madrid because they're not their usual blockbuster selves this season, even though they are creeping up towards the top of La Liga, they're still Real Madrid and they're still dangerous in European competition. Obviously, we still await who wins that Liverpool against Real Madrid clash. But Chelsea would face either of these sides, Liverpool or Madrid, if they get through. Who do you think they'd rather face? Who do you think Thomas Tuchel would rather come up against, presuming that they do get the job done against Porto tonight? Liverpool, 100%. Um, I, we were talking last week, as you just said, about, about Real Madrid. They've, it comes with a name, it comes with a logo, it comes with comes with a history, it comes with Zidane, really. He, he wins things. Um, and, yeah, I've I always found it a little bit harsh how Real Madrid have kind of been kind of been uh, accused of not really being that good this season. La Liga's a tough, tough league. And, and uh, well, I think we're in second place. So they're, they're, really, they're really going for that. So it shouldn't be written off. Um, and they've got some class players. They might not have the Galacticos. Um, might not have that stellar name in every single position, but they are still world-class players. So... If I if I was Chelsea, I'd I'd much rather play Liverpool at this point, because um, Liverpool's invincibility has clearly been shattered this season. Whereas Real Madrid in in a quarter is it quarter final or semi final of Champions League, um, I, I don't think they'd be able to handle them. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see who Chelsea do come up against. Presuming they get the job done against Porto tonight, it is the Champions League quarter final second leg. They hold a two goal advantage on away goals even though the game will be played in a neutral venue I think again they will be playing in Sevilla tonight and that's it for Football Social Daily for today's episode thank you very much Steph are you going to head off to the beer garden and play a round of golf again this afternoon uh, I'd, I'd like to but uh, no business calls <laughs> business what sort of business is that <laughs> that is business hey, the, for you. the wheeling and dealing the wheeling and dealing of radio scripts uh, now they don't write themselves <laughs> Cheers, Marley, as well. Marley, uh, have you had a pint yet? Or oh, have you managed to get a haircut yet? I know that was top of your agenda yesterday. Oh, I've managed to do neither of those things yet. Uh, I was busy <laughs> last night. I had to go and do the big shop. Asda was dead because uh, everyone was in the beer gardens. I was thinking, oh, I'd just rather be in the beer gardens. But no, uh, haircut's next Thursday as well, so a few minutes about that. I mean, as you can probably tell, I don't particularly like getting my haircut, but I dread the big shop far more than that. That is one of the low lights of my week for sure um anyway thanks for listening to football social daily of course you can hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again new shows every single day right throughout the premier league season we'll of course have reaction of this week's champions league games across the show as well involving our premier league sides but that's it for today's episode and we'll catch you again next time on football social daily football social daily from sports social find us on twitter at the sports social